Okay, let us pray one more time. Lord Almighty, we do give you glory because you are glorious and we must give you glory. We rejoice to do so. And God, I pray that you would open your word to our hearts today, that you would use this time before your word to be shaped and molded, to become more and more the men and women that you have created us to be in your image. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Some here will remember the Miller-Urey experiments in the 1950s. The experiment was done to, it was designed to show how life could have begun given the theoretical conditions of the early earth atmosphere. In this experiment, a handful of amino acids were produced when a sulfurous mixture was subjected to this artificial lightning. Many believe that this showed how at this early, early point, the very beginnings of life could have happened. You see, amino acids are the building blocks of the proteins, which are the building blocks of the DNA and the various parts of the cell, which then become a cell, which would then be the very bare necessity of something that could be called alive. Now, these experiments have been repeated many times in the last 50 years. And in a recent reiteration of the experiment, scientists fabricated a significantly larger number of amino acids than Miller did back in 1958. You may have heard about this on the news. As interesting as all of that is, Harvard-educated evolutionary scientist Jim Casting responded to this news of the recent experiments. I'm underwhelmed. The origin of life is an exponentially more complicated manner than scientists designing amino acids in a test tube. But what interests me at this moment, however, is not the significant barriers that are put up to Darwinian evolution as a result of these experiments. What interests me is the outlook. It's the vision of the universe so imagined by these scientists that makes the observation that I really want to make possible. And that observation is this. The human body, sold in parts on the black market, is worth today approximately $45 million. Seems like there's enough Steve Jobs out there looking for livers and lungs and kidneys that can pay for your grandkids' grandkids' college education. This, of course, is assuming that the body is healthy of the right age and in a properly immoral has properly immoral connections to make the deal. But what about a corpse? If a body could be reduced to its chemical elements and then sold by weight, the average cost of that body would be approximately $160. This is good news because in this case, the age of the body of the dead person really doesn't matter and the more out of shape, the better because there's more to sell. I'm glad you guys got that. I need a courtesy laugh every once in a while. It helps my ego. 
The view that life could be created out of non-life in a test tube is also the view that the worth of a human person could be measured in dollars and cents. But you and I, we know in our hearts that a human being isn't worth 160 or 45 million dollars. Indeed, the value of a human is measured by the fact that we are not a collection of atoms randomly glued together by lightning. Instead, we are created in God's image. And human value rests not on utility, but identity. Human value rests not on utility, not on those things that we can do or that we can get, but human value rests on who we are and we are created in God's image. Now let me warn you something. This is a, this is a serious warning. It is absolutely imperative you believe what I'm about to read to you. You must intentionally cause your mind to think in terms of the following information because if you don't believe what I am about to read, you will have no reason to not to think that those who value the body at 160 or 45 million dollars are wrong. And if you don't believe what I'm about to read to you, you won't think Christianly. You won't believe the truth and therefore the truth will not set you free. It's a passage you heard this morning. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You and you are made in God's image. Now, I have already preached a sermon on this, and actually we heard an excellent sermon this morning, as Chet reminded us, thank you, about what the image of God is. But I'm not going to defend... The, what I'm going to tell you is the image of God. If you want, you can go online, and I'm sure it's still on our webpage, or I'll send you the notes if you want. But I want to quickly clarify what it means to be made in the image of God so that we can understand more about ourselves and so that we can understand the culture around us, especially given the day that we are commemorating today the day of the decision of Roe versus Wade. Being created in the image of God means, among other things, that we are here to represent and represent God. We are charged with representing. We are charged with showing those who have never seen God or seen Christ with a clear display of who he is and what he loves. We are here to represent, to show, to display God. We are also here to represent him. 
When God's interests are at stake, we are the ones who must then orient our lives in such a way that his goals, his desires are represented rather than merely ours. Now, if we're going to be good at representing and representing God, then we need to have certain capacities, certain functions as human beings. And indeed, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, as I preached almost a year ago, we learned that mankind was created to live creatively, to live in community, to make real choices, and lastly, to share in God's dominion of this earth, all of which can be found in Genesis 1 and 2. But here's the point. When you organize your life to be creative rather than merely consuming, when you organize your life to live in community rather than some version of virtual community, when you actively choose what is best for all concerns as opposed to being passive or looking out for number one, and number four, when you strive to order creation as opposed to despoiling it or ignoring it altogether, when you live like these four things are true about you, you will live the life that God created you to live. You will be the man or woman God created you where you are right now. And when you're living this way, when this is an active, growing part of who you are, you will not fall victim to three of the biggest lies in this culture. And the first is that you can put a monetary value on the human being, either dead or alive. You will not fall victim to the lie that turns things into ends and people into means towards gaining those ends. And you will not fall victim to the lie of self-esteem, the idea that your worth must be validated by what you have or who, what you do. You are valuable because you are loved by God and created in his image, whether your body works as well as it used to or not. Because human value rests not on utility. Human value rests on identity. You and every single other human being on this earth is valuable because of who God made you to be. And let me tell you this, if you can avoid these three lies in the culture in which you live and move and have your being, you are doing very well. And as today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, I want to talk about just one of those aspects of what it means to be created in the image of God. And that aspect is the one that our culture at the same time celebrates wildly and grossly misunderstands. And that is the fact that you and I are created to have choice. That we make real decisions. Because choice is so worshipped today, how many brands of peanut butter can you buy at the store right down the street? How many different car dealerships are there in this town? 
We believe that choice and that consumerism is our God-given right in this country, even when it comes to little babies. But because choice is worship today, I want to explain both the strengths and the limitations of choice. And more important than that, I want to explain how you and I can make truly important, real choices. So let's begin. Choice at its most basic level is simply a preference of one option or another. If you hand someone an apple or a piece of German chocolate cake, the person will accept one and reject the other. Now there are many, very often conflicting reasons why someone would choose the chocolate cake, of course, as opposed to the other. But here's the point. A person will always choose based on their strongest desires at that moment. A person will always choose according to their strongest desires at that moment. Now you're thinking to yourself, well, of course that's true. But this self-evident statement is fought at every level of our society today, even by those in the church. People talk about, I get to make my own choice and I get to do it out of whatever I want. People talk about this idea of libertarian free will, thinking that they can make a choice absolutely free from any outside influence. Now, why on earth do I bring all this up? This sounds like a bunch of philosophical mumbo-jumbo, but I did just get my doctorate, so you have to bear with me. (laughs) Why would I bring all this up in talking about the sanctity of human life? Well, you need to understand that this idea is wrong. And you need to understand it, first of all, because choices, your choices, are determined by what influences you most. You and I are a mixture of our DNA, of our experience, of your currently confused concoction of desires and needs and relationships. And all of these things make you who you are. And what you choose right now determines who you are becoming. You have never made a completely free choice in your entire life. So already the great American dream is out the window. Your choices, number two, are informed by their consequences. There are consequences to every choice you make. If you take the apple or if you take the German chocolate cake, there are going to be consequences. And it's not because God or anyone else is a big meanie. It is just a simple fact of reality. You are free to choose to play before you finish your chores, but you'll find that you have to sleep in the bed you made. Right, moms? Haven't you preached that sermon quite a few times? In this case, staying up too late, drinking too much, or texting while you're driving, you will face consequences. There are consequences even for Christians who choose to stick their heads in the mud and whine and curse about the dark. My friends, we are not here to complain about society. We are here to do something about the society in which we live. Number three, your choices are imposed upon you by your government and by your daytime TV shows. 
The idea that you have the capacity to make a decision, any decision you want has been canonized by the priests of our society on daytime TV. I can do whatever I want and no one can tell me otherwise. This is folly. Walk into any airport and scream gun and find out how many of your rights are going to be taken away right then. But number four, and this is really the most important one for Christians to get. You don't make a completely free decision because there can be only one being who makes a completely free decision. And that, by definition, is God. So my friends, don't be bullied by our society that is always preaching choice, 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 choice. Instead, take a step back and understand what a real choice is. You make real choices and those choices express the real you much more effectively than all of the PR that you're constantly developing for anybody and everybody listening. And when you are presented with the apple or the cake, your choice at that moment reveals more about your desires and who you are than all of the resolutions you made three weeks ago. You see, your choices are determined by your strongest desires at the moment and therefore are never completely free. Your desires are controlled by the spicy pizza you ate last night, by whether you, whatever you ate this afternoon or whether you ate anything oral or whether you even took a nap. Your desires are controlled by so many factors that are beyond your control that you can never say your choices are completely free, though they are yours and yours alone. Again, let me restate, all of this means that we never rid ourselves of the nonsense that we have a God-given right to decide whatever we want. Your choices have consequences that go far beyond you, whether for good or for ill. Therefore, choose wisely. And my friends, this is exactly, the answer to this is exactly what every pastor you've ever talked to, every Sunday school teacher you've ever talked to, what we've always been said going all the way back, and that is you need to preach the gospel to yourself constantly. Remind yourself who God is and who you are. Do it by meditating on God's word. Do it by praying. Do it by um, fellowshipping with godly people and serving those who are around you. Because it's only when you're putting your mind on these things and away from the soul cancer that is trying to trip you up and make you do all the things that the world wants you to do, Will you actually, really be able to be free? So, if there is no such thing as libertarian free will, this idea that you can choose absolutely freely to, without any outside interference, and yet there is a such thing as a real choice, and we all believe that that's true, 
then we need to understand what could best be called here true freedom. What, how do we get freedom? How do we get so that we could actually make a real choice, especially one that stands up against all the consumerism that is trying to bury you and be free? Because true freedom is what our culture is saying that they're espousing. They're trying to get. True freedom is what we pine for. And many in our culture are even willing to kill their babies to gain. The euthanizing of those who are elderly or infirm or unwanted is a practice with a long and distinguished tradition. The various Inuit tribes send their elderly to die afloat on ice blocks when they become a burden to their village. Down's children have been smothered from the beginning of time. And in ancient Rome, children were left at the edges of the village to die of exposure or the ravages of whatever predatory animals were around. As if they are some sacrifice to the gods of convenience and security. Gods that are worshipped feverishly all around us even today. You think our culture is better? God bless America? Indeed, please God, bless America by bringing your church to repentance. Make no mistake... If you think, if you believe the lies that this culture is telling you, that you are absolutely free to make any choice at all, euthanasia will soon appear to be the only choice that makes sense. And is anybody here in this room think that we're superstars enough not to find ourselves on the bad side of somebody's list? I don't think so. Recognize the limits of your freedom and you will be free indeed. This is one of the most serious problems in our nation today and it is intimately tied to our stubborn refusal to take responsibility for our own attitudes and actions. Let it begin, my friends, right here. Let it begin here that we take responsibility for our attitudes and actions and that we recognize the limits and the strengths of choice. Now, the truth that life is inconvenient, it it just is. The truth is that life is inconvenient. And it's a fool's errand to sacrifice anything of real value to pursue living for what is convenient. And security is only as stable as that which is trusted to provide it. Now, of course, money, health, a good army. These are all popular candidates, but they all fall conspicuously short when you're laying on your deathbed. So, the option, the, the time-honored practice of trusting the promises of God for you in Christ is the only foolproof way of gaining the security that you need. But, By trusting his promises, it means that you will do silly things like letting the elderly, the infirm, and the unwanted live and prosper. But it is exactly that, in this case, in our culture, that gives true freedom to the one who trusts and understands that human value 
comes not from utility, but from identity. And here's Jesus' promise. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So freedom. Here is going to be our point today. True freedom has at least four ideas within it. True freedom is the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do the best for all concerned. Freedom is the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do the best for all concerned. So let's say you made a resolution three weeks ago. Let's say you resolved to lose 30 pounds. You must have the desire to do the exercise and eat right. Because if you don't really want to do that, you're not really free, are you? You may have great willpower, you may be disciplined, but you're not truly free if you're not enjoying doing the things that you need to do. And to be free, number two, you must also have the ability. You must have the means, the tools to lose the pounds that you resolve to lose. What if you can't exercise? What if there is something preventing you from eating right? Then number three, to be free, you must have the opportunity to do what you want. What if you can't make it to the gym? What if you're not in charge of the groceries that you buy? You must have all of those. But lastly, if you are to be free, whatever it is that you desire and able and have the opportunity to do must be a desirable goal. It must have least regret-producing effects possible. What do I mean by that? Let's say you're a heroin addict and let's say someone gives you all the heroin you want. Would you say that person is free? No, because it wastes all of the God-given, all of the benefits that this person had to live a truly good life. Now, that may or may not apply to eating right and exercising, but it makes the point that your choices are not 100% residing in you. You have never seen anyone in history pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You may have the quote-unquote freedom. You may have the right to choose to look at porn, use heroin, or sit on your brains watching television. But doing any of these will only produce regret, missed opportunity, and waste the God-given resources for you and those around you to live the longest and happiest life available. My friends, God is not a cosmic, anti-happy policeman running around trying to ruin the fun of everyone about you. But neither is he the cosmic grandpappy who just wants his kids to be happy. Because there's more to life than mere happiness. True freedom, the kind of freedom that only Jesus brings is the kind that gives the greatest amount of healthy choices possible for the greatest number of people everywhere. And this freedom only comes from trusting the promises of God for you in Christ. True freedom is never found in the 
I've got to move on with my life, so let's just abort this baby decision. True freedom is never found in the, this person's quality of life just stinks, so let's give them too much morphine decision. True freedom is never found in the, this person is a burden on society, so let's just put him away quietly decision. True freedom in the context of this sermon is found by recognizing that human value rests not on utility, but identity. And your identity is found in the fact that you are made in God's image. True freedom is only found only in Christ and in the truth that he gives that will make you free. My friends, there is no other source of security. There is no source of convenience that will give you the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what is best for all. And all this brings us to why Christians are being, why Christians are pro-life. We are pro-dignity of all human life because all human life is created in God's image. We are pro-healthy choices for as many as possible. This includes that of the mother in a crisis pregnancy that we need to love and provide for as well as for her child. And we are pro-true freedom. I want to confess something here. This is my mea culpa. Pastor Benji and I were talking in the office this week on whichever day it was. I think it was Tuesday. And he said the phrase that I'm going to say in a minute, that God don't make no junk. And I thought, that's the sermon title that I'm going to use. <laughs> so I stole it from him. I, I'm freely confessing that. Uh, I didn't steal the idea for Genesis 1, 26, and 7 from him, but, you know, what can I say? Great minds think alike. <laughs> but I did steal that because it is such a great story. One woman who, had she been born 80 years later, might well have been aborted because she was fathered by a rapist. Now, fortunately, abortion was not as easily available at her time, and her mom did not choose, and her mom, mother did choose life. But even more fortunately is she was able to remark, I am somebody because God don't make no junk. I am somebody because God don't make no junk. This week... You can celebrate the sanctity of human life as you commemorate the tragedy of Roe versus Wade and terrorist bombings and urban unrest and racism and all the things that we were reminded about this morning. You can use your freedom to promote the healthiest choices for the most people. You can use your freedom to honor the value of human beings at every stage of life. And you can use your freedom to love those who are around you, every single one of them, no matter what their race or their religion or their orientation, because God don't make no junk. My friends, use your freedom to remember that human value rests not on utility, but on identity. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for great discussions with brothers so that we can get good conclusions to our sermons. And thank you even more importantly for the many men and women who have glorified your name by working on the front lines to help women in crisis pregnancies to give life 
to their children. And God, make us the men and women who love those around us, no matter what their race or their religion or their orientation, so that we can show them the love of Jesus. Make us such brave men and women for our joy, for your glory, and for the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.